0: Happy April Fool's Day and welcome to Sailor Moonlighting, the definitely real, not at all made up podcast where we watch Sailor Moon and Moonlighting one episode at a time and compare and contrast. I'm Grant. And I'm Paige. And this week we watched the first episode of the seminal anime classic Sailor Moon in whatever dub is on Hulu. And we watch season two, episode two of Moonlighting uh, called The Woman in the Iron Mask. Is that what it was called? The Lady. The Lady. lady the Lady in the Iron Mask. Uh, so yeah, Paige, why don't you tell us what happened on Sailor Moon? Okay,
1: so in the first episode of Sailor Moon, um, uh, we get kind of set up for what the conflict is going to be. Uh, we get some information. So first we meet Usagi, who, uh, who is the Sailor Moon of the title, but at this point, Usagi's just a mess. Like, she's sleeping in and getting to school late, she almost forgot her lunch, definitely didn't eat breakfast, definitely didn't do good on this test. And definitely is just kind of wondering why her mom thinks she should care about school. Like, this is not even like she tries really hard. This seems to be like she kind of just wishes she could nap all the time. Which is a mood, to be fair. But also, uh, you know, most, most superheroes are failing at life and seem like flakes because they're trying to maintain... Two identities of being a superhero and going about their life as a kid Usagi is a mess before she ever gets superpowers Uh, she's she's not good at her schooling she's asleep all the time she cries really easily like (laughs) not to give her too hard of a time but there's nothing really that we see that she's good at (laughs) But the one thing she does is she does seem to be a kind girl. Uh, when she's going to school, she saves a cat who we later learn is named Luna. Uh, she, she uh, you know, gets the cat away from some children who put a bandaid over its head, and the cat has a marking that, uh, Sagi thinks is a bald spot, but is actually a marking in the shape of a moon. So the cat runs off, uh, and things just kinda keep going. Usagi, once again, doesn't care about school. She's got a bad grade on the test. She has to show it to her mom. But the good news she hears is that her friend has her, like her friend's mom has a jewelry store and the jewelry store is having some massive sale, which is fantastic news for Usagi because uh, although she doesn't care about school, she does care about jewelry almost as much as she cares about sleep. She wants to get something shiny for herself. At the same time, we find out that there is some evil lady trying to do some evil thing that involves sucking life forces, and she has a really pretty boy henchman. I think the lady's name is Beryl? Uh, yes, she's, that... she's
0: Queen Beryl, apparently. Queen Beryl. And her-, uh, her, her, her... Spelled it... like
1: the jewel, not spelled like the, you know, wooden planks bound together into a container.
0: Yes, and her, her evil Bishonen henchman, Jadite. So they're clearly going for like a- A rocks and minerals theme here.
1: Yeah. So this is happening. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Usagi has gone to the jewelry store with her friend. It's being mobbed because the sale is so darn good. They're basically giving the jewelry away. We find out that that's because this isn't actually her friend's jeweler mom. It's a uh, evil henchman of beryl's evil henchman jadeite so like a, a two steps removed evil henchman who's sucking people's life forces through jewelry i guess uh the one other thing we find out that's important is that uh there's somebody called sailor v who is running around the city maybe working with the police special ops uh usagi hasn't heard of her before but she sounds super cool and looks super pretty i'm just gonna go out on a limb and guess that she is eventually gonna become sailor venus
0: just that does track with what I have seen, yes.
1: Uh-huh. Usagi goes back home. She has to explain to her mom that she got a bad grade on her tests. Her little brother is making fun of her. But when she gets to the room, she finds Luna the cat again, and she's not sure how this cat got here. Also, now that the cat has its bandages off, it can talk. And like Usagi's quite rude to this cat, calling it a bald spot and freaking out because the cat can talk. Like Usagi has no chill. And the cat tells her that the cat has apparently been looking at for her for a long time. Probably longer than, sh- you know, just her saving the cat. She's been like actively hunting for this girl. Gives her uh, a little, like, I'm a girl from the 90s. I should know what this thing was called, but I never came from a Sailor Moon household. She gives her like a in- bejeweled compact. Uh, and this, this token allows her to turn into Sailor Moon. At this point, Usagi has a really dope, like, rainbow magic transformation sequence to transform into a slightly fancier version of her school uniform. It's basically the same shape and the colors are slightly different, like, it's got a different colored bow. It's basically what she wears to school every day, but she's really hype about getting into a new school uniform.
0: To be fair, it's got the dope gloves and, like, the awesome boots-
1: the The gloves are great. The boots are cool. The little hair dealies make her hair yeah, yeah, it's accessorized.
0: Little... Like, it is decidedly right. a, a decidedly... nicer, more battle-ready version of her school uniform.
1: I don't know if I'd say more battle-ready.
0: Well, okay, yeah, that skirt isn't necessarily uh, battle-practical.
1: But, I don't know, like, after, like, imagine the first time you get to transform into a magic superhero... And then you're just in a t shirt and jeans. Even if they're a nicer t shirt and jeans, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> um, but this cat is terrible at mentoring. It doesn't really explain what's happening here, except that she's been looking for her and she, like, Usagi is now Sailor Moon. She doesn't really explain what it means to be a Sailor Moon. Uh, but the thing is that these. This new magic outfit lets her have super hearing and she can hear her friend freaking out at the jewelry store because everybody is curling over dead because their life force is being drained away and they're being turned into jewelry zombies. Usagi as Sailor Moon goes over there. She isn't that good like she hasn't been set up for crime fighting in any way she has no training
0: yeah she is not set up for success in this situation
1: no she is not and she does what many people would do in this situation where she is expect has high expectations placed on her and no scaffolding to get her there uh she breaks down crying which been there at this point, Tuxedo Mask swoops in, who's just like a super nicely like I mean, it's what it says on the on the tin. It's it's a guy wearing a tuxedo and like tails and a mask and a top hat.
0: And a cape, don't forget. And a the cape.
1: cape. He tells her that quote Crying isn't going to solve any of your problems, which, step off, Tuxedo Mask, you have obviously never cried to solve your problems, but I have. I feel better, and then I'm more equipped to
0: deal with the situation. Sometimes you get a cat out of it.
1: You know, that sounds so bad out of context. (laughs) Anyway, Usagi immediately proves him wrong because apparently somehow being Sailor Moon means that you cry super loud? Not really explained uh loud enough that all of the jewelry zombies who are attacking bend over in pain Uh barrel is caught and she's like stunned by how well, painful well not barrel
0: barrel's oh, right. hench hench woman Yep. Yeah. i think her name was morga
1: morga uh barrel's hench men's hench woman is caught by surprise and she's stunned because the listening to usagi cry is so painful and so then Usagi yells something, uh, I forget what it was. It was something about tiara magic bright.
0: Yeah, some kind of tiara power activate. And, like,
1: because she's told by the cat to say that and throw her tiara, at which point Usagi's like, w- why would I do that? Which is a reasonable question the cat should have seen coming. But she says the word, she throws the tiara, and the hench, hench, henchman's henchwoman turns into stone and then dust and then crumbles. And Usagi seems to be totally chill with this. Like she just murdered someone because a cat told her to. And she's like, this is my life now. Um. Actually, my note is, oh sweet. I just murdered someone. Sailor Moon, probably. <laughs> uh, so then Tuxedo Mask, after showing up, doing nothing, being patronizing, decides that now is the time to leave and sweeps off with a swoop of his cape Uh, Usagi thinks he's hot, and so did every girl I went to kindergarten with.
0: Yeah, if you've seen the, like, my work here is done, but you didn't do anything, and then he leaves meme, uh, that is apparently from the first episode, because it was that scene.
1: It was, yeah, um, and that is entirely accurate. The next day, Usagi goes to school, uh, all the girls are talking about this weird dream they had where they were saved by someone named Sailor Moon, and Usagi naps because she's so tired, which you would think would be because she's busy being Sailor Moon, but it's also just how she approaches life in general. That was the pilot to Sailor Moon.
0: That it was.
1: Uh, what happened on Moonlighting? And why did we watch this episode of Moonlighting?
0: Uh, we watched this episode of Moonlighting because after watching the pilot of Sailor Moon, we quickly realized that Moonlighting is not streaming anywhere in the entire planet. Nope. Uh, Legally. Legally. So, uh... We found an episode um, at the bottom of a steamer trunk that had the DVDs in it. Sure. Yeah. And Definitely so this is the- not from... Yep that's, yep, that's how we found it. That's yep. how we watched this episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Yeah, so we watched this episode of Moonlighting because it was one that we'd found that was on an AV Club list of good episodes of Moonlighting.
1: Yeah, so to catch everybody up on what the plot of this show is... They're uh,
0: detectives. They're uh, detectives.
1: Well, we we explained Prodigal Son. We have to explain this. That's only fair.
0: They're detectives.
1: Sybil Shepard was a model whose tax accountant embezzled from her so, the only assets she had left were the failing businesses that she bought to offset her taxes, including a failing detective company where Bruce Willis worked. Now they run a detective agency together.
0: There you go. So, you can cut that if you want. Sybil Shepard is, uh, you like. That kind of thing that in the eighties they tried to sell us as uptight, but is actually just kind of a reasonable human being. Yeah. Uh, and Bruce Willis is wacky and tells vulgar jokes and says things like "great googly moogly." Um, this was Bruce Willis's like first big big break. Uh, if you go back and look at his IMDb, pretty much everything before this was little bit parts where he was uncredited. Uh, he was pretty much an extra. Um, until, like, it was an, an episode of Miami, uh, Miami Vice, and then he did this, and this was his first big break uh, that really put him on the map, and then he did Die Hard, which really cemented him as an action movie star, and now he's the Bruce Willis that we know. Uh, so, basically, this episode starts with a woman in the shower. You, you think this isn't relevant to the plot, but it actually is. And so, like, oh, she's shaving her legs. She, like, she nicks herself while she's shaving her legs, and gets all cleaned up, and then puts on nice shoes and everything, and then puts on this weird, elaborate black veil sort of thing.
1: It's not pretty.
0: It's not pretty. Uh, it's it's like a veil, but also just like a mask kind of deal.
1: It's confusingly bad.
0: It's very confusing, and it's just it's a very jarring opening to an episode, but. The point is this woman then goes into this detective agency run by these two people who how will they ever get along? And when like she comes in sits, out. Yeah, when she when she comes in she sits down, she talks like this. Like her voice is always hoarse or she's always whispering. And uh, it quickly comes out that the reason for this is she explains her kind of life story. There was a guy who it it? it's unclear I forget if she says if she had dated this man or it was just that they maybe had a thing but she was to be married to someone else and this other guy was jealous and so he threw acid at her he threw acid in her face it scarred her face it scarred up her throat so that's why her voice is like that that's why she wears the veil is because her face is apparently horribly disfigured we never see it but her ha- face is apparently horribly disfigured. And so that's why she's like that. And this guy, yeah, yeah, what was his name? It was uh, uh, Frank Harper. Uh, he just got off on parole. Yeah, he he, got, he went to jail for what he did. He was just let off on parole recently. And she's like, hey, I, I want to give you some money. I want you to find him. And Sybil Shepard is like, hey, he, he served his debt to society. He was paroled. Maybe don't try to get revenge. Like, maybe don't try to get revenge. She says, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not revenge. I never wanted to marry this guy in the first place. It was a hard situation, and our marriage has only been hard ever since. I always loved Frank in the first place. I want to find him so we can be together. Now, for like, all
1: of you in the audience going, two, eh, to a woman still loving the guy who threw acid in her face, just wait. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Sybil Shepherd's character has... Basically the reaction you're all hopefully having of a lady, he threw acid at you. And so there's some internal conflict between the two of them, between her and Bruce Willis, of like, should we take this case? Like, I'm concerned that I'm enabling a woman's very, very unhealthy impulse to, like, get together with her abuser, should we be taking this case? And Bruce Willis is like, hey, money's money, if we... If we don't do it, she's going to pay somebody else to do it. Like, we can't stop her from doing this. We might as well make the money, because at the beginning of the episode it's established that their agency is under some financial stress. So they need the money. And, like, okay, we'll go, we'll find him, and then we can decide, like, we'll we'll assess the situation, and then we can decide if we want to take her money and put her in touch with this guy, or give the money back and tell her we couldn't find him. Mm-hmm. So it is surprisingly easy to track this guy down because I mean he was paroled and is apparent is you know supposedly and is keeping in touch with his parole officer very easy to find the guy. He's giving like historical tours at some old church somewhere.
1: It's yeah, it's a Spanish mission.
0: Yeah. And so they go, they talk to him and he he has his little his little please give me a guest spot Emmy a uh, monologue about how you know even while he was doing it he knew he shouldn't and his he regretted it every day since and you know he sees her face every night and yeah.
1: for blah. a guy who threw acid in a girl's face he seems like a good person
0: he seems to be somebody who genuinely
1: regrets regrets
0: what he did and is no longer a danger to society yeah Right Like it seems like he is not a danger to anybody. He genuinely regrets what he did. He understands why what he did is wrong. He has been rehabilitated. like he is he is the like desired end point of the prison system of somebody who is rehabilitated and can re-enter society without being a danger to anyone. right. But he says to them like, tell her you didn't find me like. I don't, like, I'm glad she's still alive. I'm glad she's happy, but tell her you didn't find me. Like, it's unclear if it's a, like, I can't, don't want to cause myself pain by seeing her or a, like, I know that I can't be around her thing or what, but either way. No matter what. No matter what. He's saying, please just tell her you didn't find me. He's like, okay. And so they're driving back. They're talking about it. They're not sure what to do. And they basically decide, no, you know what? We need the money. It seems like they both have the best intentions here. We're and she's gonna... just going to go to someone else. <laughs> and she's... Just, yeah, again, like, once again, if we say we couldn't find him, she's just going to pay someone else to find him. So they tell her that, you know, they found him. They go out, they have a nice dinner to celebrate, their first big case, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, the thing happens that always happens in stuff from the 80s, where they're walking by a TV store... After hours, why would the TVs be on? Uh, walking past a TV store, and the TVs are showing the news, and this Harper guy is dead. Bum, bum, and they're like, damn it. She lied to us. She never was in love with him. She wanted revenge. She gave us a phony story about wanting to get back to him so that we'd tell her where she, where he is so she could go kill him. Like, damn it. She made a patsy of us. So they go to her hotel room where she's staying in town. Push past her husband. So said, hey, you know, you killed this guy and you made us your patsy. And she's cowering behind, like, one of those changing foldy things that people Screen. apparently have. Screens, yeah, that don't actually exist in real life. And maybe
1: people who own them are just fancier than us.
0: Maybe. Maybe we're not fancy enough to have one. And she's, like, cowering behind it, like... You know, oh, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, darling, please make them stop saying such horrible, horrible things. So they tail her. They're like, okay, she's going to slip up. They tail her. They catch her in the act of discarding the murder weapon. She, like, dumps the gun in a random river. And, like, okay, we've got her now. We We can get her to slip up, right? They tailed her from her hotel to this park, and they tail her back. But then they see she goes back into the hotel room, like back into the hotel, and then comes right back out and gets in another cab. And w- while they'd been tailing her the first time, Bruce Willis makes a comment about the way she walks, right? That, you know, there sure is a nice hood under that chassis or whatever. Uh, basically, he has he, been
1: watching her butt.
0: Yeah, he a, he he comments that she has a nice butt. Uh, nice butts as plot points, not just for Metal Gear Solid anymore. And
1: technically, this could have inspired Metal Gear Solid.
0: You know, I'd believe it, actually. Hideo pulls his shit from weird places. Uh, So he notices while she's walking that she has a nice butt. And then, so she goes back into the hotel and she comes right back out. And he's like, wait a minute. She's not walking the same way. She's not doing the same little swagger. She doesn't have as nice of a butt. This is two different people. So... He's like, all right, let's go. And he goes and he posts up on the rooftop and watches her window. And so he sees a light turn on. In a different hotel room. In a different room. And she sits down. She takes the veil off and it's the husband. So the person that we had seen in the first scene wasn't her. It was her husband shaving his legs so that when he's walking around in a dress with his bare legs, he'll have shaved legs right? He cut himself in that opening segment because he's not used to shaving his legs, uh, and everything like that, right? And, you know, if her throat is all scarred, so she's always talking like this, it's very easy to impersonate that, right? And when you're wearing a veil, right, it's incredibly easy to impersonate this woman. So, it was actually the husband came in, pretending to be his wife, told them to find the guy, purposes up this whole situation and killed this guy who had scarred his wife before they got married. They put this all together. They go, they confront him or they're going to get ready to confront him. But, uh, Sybil Shepherd and, and Bruce Willis have a disagreement on how to handle this, right? On, on whether or not they should even be getting involved. And Sybil Shepard is like, Oh, we would have never even gotten involved in all this and murder cases and stuff. If you hadn't convinced me to take this case. So they kind of have a little mini-breakup, right, of like, fine, you handle this case your way, I'll handle this case my way, and then we'll talk about if we even want to work together again after this. But they both have the same idea of doing the same thing, of pretending to be the wife to sneak into the hotel room and snoop around. So both Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard are in, like, little black dresses with veils And they go, and, you know, because, again, someone who's that distinct, it's very easy to impersonate them at the counter and get your room key. And so it culminates in, like, Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard and the husband pretending to be the wife and the actual wife, all four of them in the same outfit, going on, like, a hotel chase. Because the husband, like, pulls a gun, and he's like you don't get it. He needed to die for what he did, and I've spent the last 12 years married to a woman who won't let me see her face. And it's unclear if it was just that he was angry so he wanted to get vengeance on the guy who did it, or if it was like maybe if if he's gone then she'll able to sleep more soundly and be more okay. Like, it was a little unclear exactly where the the, the motives were. Yeah. Um. It was a little unclear what the desired end state was, but he, he certainly had plenty of motive to kill this guy. Well, so, and his
1: plan was if I murder him, no jury in the world will convict my wife who was horribly scarred.
0: Yeah, like no jury in the world would convict her if he framed her for doing it, and so she could plead the insanity defense and get off scot-free. Which isn't exactly how the insanity defense works, but whatever. No. Uh, she'd probably end up, you know, in a mental hospital. So, there's a, whatever, there's a big chase, like a funny chase of all four of them all dressed the same way, running through a hotel and knocking Willis over... Willis
1: getting angry that everyone looks better than him.
0: Yeah, knocking over waiters and blah, blah, blah. They catch the guy. And then the two of them realize that, oh, we, you know, work well together, let's stay partners. And that's the episode of Moonlighting. Yep. So, let's talk about Sailor Moon. Yeah. What are your first blush thoughts? It's it's f- f- worth noting, neither of us has watched Sailor Moon.
1: No. So, my experience with Sailor Moon, despite growing up as a girl in the 90s, you know, like, that was the thing. It's just like, all the boys were watching Dragon Ball, all the girls were watching Sailor Moon. Not necessarily all of them, but that was just kind of like the schoolyard thing. Uh, I didn't. Uh, The only memories I really have of Sailor Moon, other than, like, seeing everybody had the bed sheets or whatever, is that once I went to another girl's house when I was very little, I thought I was, like, three maybe, but I was probably older. Um, And we were playing, and we played Sailor Moon, but she wouldn't let me be any of the good Sailor Scouts. Like, she took the good Sailor Scouts...
0: But you had no, you had no litmus for what was a good sailor scout. No,
1: I just know that I was, someone was telling me that I couldn't be the sailor scout that I thought I was supposed to be. Uh, I do not remember which sailor scouts were the good sailor scouts or the bad sailor scouts. uh, But I do remember that Shelby was a jerk to play with.
0: (laughs) Damn it, Shelby.
1: I think that was her name. Uh, but I have no, like, other than, like, cultural context of, like, I know what the transformation sequence looks like. I know that the main girl is Sailor Moon, and she, you know, always wants to kiss Tuxedo Mask. And those girls are, depending on the translation, either gay or cousins. That's all I know about Sailor Moon.
0: Um, Yeah, that's basically my experience, too. Uh, despite being, like... In general, the Magical Girl genre is kind of a big blind spot for me, despite my being a total weeb. Yeah, Uh, no,
1: uh, it's just Madoka.
0: Yeah, it's just Madoka. Yeah. Um, So we watched the
1: deconstruction, but not the original Magical Girl.
0: Yeah, so, like, despite the fact that Sailor Moon was often, like, arm-in-arm with Gundam Wing and Dragon Ball Z, um, I know very, very little about it. Uh, I know basically everything you just said- I think there's a point at some point where Tuxedo Mask is brainwashed and is a bad guy.
1: That sounds right.
0: That sounds right. Um, Yeah, that's about it. And it's
1: really hard to tell from the first episode if I hate Sailor Moon or not. The character, not the show. It it was hard for me to get a feel of if Usagi is a lovable mess who has her charming points or if she's just a mess and I'm going to get tired of her.
0: I liked Usagi in this first episode
1: because <laughs> you're
0: more of a mess than I am. I like that. I like that she's a mess, and I like, I like that she's a dumbass, but yeah. not like she's a dumbass, but she's not a dumb blonde.
1: No, she's absolutely like she is a dumbass in the way that a lot of male characters get to be a dumbass.
0: Yeah, exactly. She's she's a dumbass in much the same way Goku is a dumbass. Yeah. And so I found that charming, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I, th-
1: I think the thing that's difficult in this episode and might get better as the show goes along is because she's the only one, the only person she has to play off of for part of the episode is the cat. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I would like her better if she's in the company of a lot of other people, like she, like if the Sailor Scouts were there so they could have a group dynamic yeah, which I know eventually
0: focused. is the formula the show falls into.
1: Right. And right now it's very focused on Usagi, so it's a lot of one flavor on the palette. And so I could see, you know, me liking it more when we get less
0: of her. <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah, I, I think I, I could see that starting a form already of, like, she's going to be the fun, dumb hero. Right. Um, So, yeah, I... I had fun with this pilot. I had fun with um, with Isagi being just like a complete mess who is a superhero, uh. And the thing is, like, it's funny they did literally do a save the cat thing, mm-hmm. where they very quickly establish that she is at least kind and caring because she goes out of her way to save the cat, even though she's running late. For late. Yeah, yeah. I also appreciate the absolute pettiness. Of the problem is that, uh, like, <laughs> the problem of the week is women be shopping.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, like, I think that's the thing that really, like, was like, really? The problem is that women be shopping. Like, weirdly, I am against the problem being that women be shopping. I am pro the solution being crying loudly. <laughs>
0: Well, here's the thing though, right? The problem is that women be shopping, but the problem is specifically that uh the jewelry industry is um predatory. Is yeah, is predatory and uh, you know, preying on society's beauty standards for women and right, convincing no. them they need to buy jewelry so that it can slowly drain their uh drain their energy to fuel a, you know, massive con- evil conglomerate like right,
1: but- But that would, like, the next step that you need for that to work, like, I get what you're saying, but also the only reason that works is because women be stupid, and I'm not sure if I'm on board with that part.
0: I don't know if it was that women be stupid, though. Like, is it stupid to go, oh, this thing that society has told me I should have, I can get for super cheap?
1: Yes, because you're not questioning the underlying thing of society told me I need the shiny thing. Like... These, these are definitely women who have not ever had a deeper thought in their head. <laughs> <laughs> but weirdly, I am pro the solution being crying loudly because, you know what? That girl was not prepared for that situation. There's no way she's going to break out kung fu and just, like, defeat everybody. If I was in that situation, I would cry loudly until no one could stand being around me either. I'm all for that.
0: I do appreciate that she didn't immediately know how to, like, kick zombies I, in the face. yeah. Like she, like, she she, immediately gets knocked over and, like, skins her leg and is like, wait a minute, am I bleeding?
1: Right, <laughs> just because I'm a superhero doesn't mean that I actually have any superpowers.
0: Well, like, it feels like that would be, like, in the parody sketch of a superhero story of, like, oh my god, am I bleeding? Oh, my- oh, shit, I'm bleeding. Oh my god, I'm not ready for this. Oh god. But, like, it's not the parody. This is just Sailor Moon.
1: No, and it's, like... <laughs> Since I've seen so many things that have built on Sailor Moon for the magical girl trope, I mean, like, it's not something I'm well versed in. Uh, We know a lot of people who are much better versed in the magical girl world than we are. But my impression as someone from the outside who hadn't ever really engaged with it was like, this is all perfect sparkly girls who do perfect sparkly things. And it's like, no, this is a mess. She's a mess. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's gonna break down crying.
0: Mm-hmm. And I like that. That, that yeah. was that's fun.
1: And I, I also like how tuxedo mask is perfectly positioned to be hot to children and then completely useless.
0: Yeah, he did literally. He threw a rose and was like, "Stop crying."
1: It's like, shut up, tuxedo mask. And then I do she what didn't stop
0: crying, and it solved the problem. So he literally, the meme was right. He literally didn't do anything.
1: No. Uh, and like,
0: who is he? What's his deal? Why is he there? I don't know. Who cares? He's, he's a sexy mask. lamp is really what he is. Yeah. And like, I appreciate that he gets like, like this time the, the, the men are the sexy lamps for a change.
1: I mean, the thing is that he didn't need to be there. The the solution to the sexy lamp problem, uh, which is Kelly Pseudoconic's test that's uh, used in conjunction with the Bechdel test for feminism in film, is could this woman be replaced by a sexy lamp in the plot when it changed? I don't think the solution to the sexy lamp is to get sexy male lamps, but, uh, you know, I, I, like, I understand at some level that they just thought, well, we need a hot guy in this. Let's just throw him in there.
0: Yeah, pretty much. It's good stuff. I I had fun with this.
1: So, did you have fun with moonlighting?
0: Uh, moonlighting was deeply confusing to me, as most (laughs) things from the 80s are. Yeah. Um... I mean the 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 core mystery was well executed, yeah. Right, like.
1: So so actually, is it easier just to break down the pros and cons here because they're so weirdly disparate?
0: Yeah, for me, for me, like my favorite kind of mystery is one where I can put it together just before the characters do, right? Mm -hmm. Because so you feel clever. Yeah, so you feel like it's still interesting and 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 uh, layered and complex, but you get to feel clever. That you're putting it together when really it's that you know the 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 writers are doing a good job of dropping the clues just in time, right? And so it was well executed. Like at first, I you know I started to put together, oh wait, but then the legs, like the showering scene and the shaving scene in the beginning is like a throwback. Blah blah blah. So like it all all of those things, the core the core mystery element of the story came together really well. And the chase scene at the end of all four of them in the dresses was funny. Um, And for something made in the 80s that had a scene of two men wearing dresses. Yeah. Didn't play on a lot of the usual, like, heteronormative, cisnormative jokes. Like, it... it,
1: I mean, there was one, like, he came out of the closet in a dress and made a, like, you've never seen a guy guy come out out of the closet. closet. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like, ha ha ha. Right, but...
1: But mostly, he was just mad other people were prettier. <laughs> it
0: could have been. I was expecting it to be much worse, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I was expecting it to be much worse, especially because, especially around then, if it's like a a dude commits a murder in a dress, and almost immediately they somehow find a way to make the, the dude a sex pervert of some kind. Yeah, and they didn't go there. This because it didn't. It wouldn't have made sense. Like.
1: Well, and even just, like, David Addison, Bruce Willis's character, is a guy who will poke fun and make jokes at anything, but they didn't, like, so they could have made it so much worse.
0: Yeah, and they didn't. So I appreciated that. Like, that was something that was like, wow, for the 80s, that was pretty good. Um, and, like, there was also a bit, when they're first piecing the case together, where Sybil Shepherd's character tells a story of basically a guy in her college days who like stalked her after she broke it off with him after just a few dates right yeah and like so like that whole thing of understanding the psychology behind that seems to be like i'm not an expert but from my uh, unexpert opinion seemed to be at least trying to handle that sensitively in a way that i would not have expected from the 80s
1: yeah no i uh because i mean part of it is that like she's conf- like she doesn't trust This woman wanting to get back together with her abuser is the best thing for her. And so she tells the story of this guy who had stalked her. And the way she describes it is he took away my no. Like, he didn't let me say no. Like, it's not just he didn't listen when she said no, but like, he he robbed her of the, like, of the right to say no that she had. Because like, he ended up sneaking in her room in the middle of the night like a creep there is a respect to the violation and it is the first hint that something is wrong with this story. It's not just, oh, but she loved him. Like, even when the story at the surface level is, oh, but she loved him, Sybil Shepherd's like, no. Nah. No.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, so that stuff was handled with a lot more care and nuance than I was expecting, which was nice. Um, I'm gonna be real. I didn't really get the romantic tension between the two leads. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't there for me. She was like, I think we should do the reasonable thing. And he was like, well, I'm going to gesture wildly on Bruce Willis. And that was like every scene. Yeah. Like, Bruce Willis's character felt like he was saying his dialogue really quickly because that was how he was being directed. mm. Right? And so he's just like, wow, I'm the wacky guy. And it just didn't work. Yeah. It didn't work. It didn't work for me. Well, I uh, think it
1: is also a little bit different because we are watching it post uh, Die Hard, which the audience wasn't. Uh, right. And Bruce Willis has a very good swagger. Like, that's what the movie Die Hard is built around is the fact that Bruce Willis, when his back is shoved up against the wall, you believe him swaggering as his way out. And this had the germs of it, and you can definitely see how he got to be John McClane after, uh, after being David Addison. But it is just a little more over the top here.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I just I just didn't I just didn't see the romantic tension between them.
1: The thing I can still see though is how this launched Bruce Willis's career.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, both actors were doing a very very good job. Bruce Willis definitely. Like I can definitely see how this was a career-making role for him. Uh any and all romantic tension between them felt like it was there at the necessity of the script and not because of actual chemistry between the actors.
1: Gotcha. Also, the cameraman was drunk this entire shoot.
0: I, yeah, there's also the usual '80s stuff of the camera cuts being weird, the cameraman being drunk, nobody talking like an actual person. This is just, this is just what the '80s were, right? Uh, you say
1: with the confidence of a man who was born in 1992.
0: I'm just saying, as the confidence of a man who was born in 1992 and has seen many things from the '80s, and in every single '80s movie or TV show I've seen, nobody talks like a real person. Uh, I have the same. I made the same comment when we watched Lost Boys it it just i don't know if that was how people actually talked back then or if the writers were just all on cocaine um yeah so yeah uh it was i mean i enjoyed it i enjoyed it it was it, it was an well executed mystery the dialogue was generally like kept me engaged even if it was weird and awkward and bruce willis said things like great googly moogly and uh no touchy no kissy no horizonti
1: yeah even uh, civil shepherd didn't like that one
0: yeah, that one I actually appreciated because they they pointed out, they lampshaded how fucking ridiculous that is. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, I I, I would I would watch another episode. Yeah. From that, you know, uh, DVD box set in the bottom of a steamer trunk we found in our closet. Do do you do you have any any thoughts on either of these shows? Any more thoughts?
1: I d- I just want to
0: know. Actually, my only question is about
1: moonlighting. I just want to know where these people keep getting acid in. Like, people are always throwing acid in other people's faces in movies. Where are they getting all this acid? Uh, are they going down to Ace Chemicals and just, like, get in a vat out?
0: They're not going down to Ace Chemicals. They're going down to Ace Hardware. Uh, my first job in high school was at a hardware store, and you can go into an Ace Hardware and you can get a bottle of muriatic acid. Uh,. And, or, like, uh, I forget what the other thing they have is called. A liquid fire or something. You can get some incredibly powerful acid just at your local hardware store to the point where, like, it's in, like, the plastic bleach jug, but then that jug is also wrapped in, like, a plastic bag so that if there's a rupture in the store, it won't burn anybody.
1: Friends. If you act on this information, please do not trace it back to this podcast, and please don't act on this information.
0: Yeah, uh, but yeah, that was the thing that, you know, when I was, like, 16, working at a hardware store, I saw that and was like, Oh, wow, I could just, I could just, like, buy acid. Like, I could just buy that. Anybody could just walk in and and buy acid. I don't even know what you what 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 non murder application there is for that. I'm sure probably I'm sure like there's something. Probably yeah, like getting like cleaning incredibly tough metals and stuff like that, or you know you dil- obviously you dilute the crap out of it if you ever use it, right? There's I know there are uses for it, but yeah, no, you can you can get some pretty scary shit at at your local hardware store. Yeah. Well, uh, I believe that is all we've got for oh, this. Oh no,
1: we're not gonna swap.
0: Do you want to swap? So
1: I got my swap.
0: Okay. Who do you want to swap this week?
1: <laughs> I want to swap Luna the Cat uh-huh. and Sybil Shepard. Okay. I want to have Maddie walking Usagi through becoming a Sailor Moon because I feel like she'd do a better job than Luna the Cat. And in this episode, we see that, that David is not opposed to putting on a you know dress and veil if it's gets the job done so i would really love to watch his magical girl transformation so he could catch the, you know the murderer
0: oh yeah bruce willis's sailor moon that's a bruce good one Bruce Sp- sailor moon you almost robbed us of that that's true um i want to swap uh frank the murder victim mm-hmm. with uh a guy that we didn't mention in our our summary uh one of usagi's classmates by the name of umino
1: Oh, yeah, Umino, I was very confused by Umino and who he was supposed to be.
0: Like, he's all like, oh, Usagi, how did you do on your test? I spaced a little bit, so I only got a 95. uh huh
1: huh 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 -huh." Go die, Umino.
0: Uh, yeah, so I want to swap them so that, uh, Umino gets shot in the face, because he's a smug motherfucker.
1: And Frank, you know, gets a chance to live his life.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe move on, or what, I don't know, I'm not totally sold on Frank. My 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 reaction to his whole monologue was like cool story bro. Uh maybe you shouldn't have thrown acid to that lady's face. Yeah. Uh but you know, maybe maybe I'm just heartless.
1: Yeah, we as a society need to find forgiveness for, you know, the people who threw acid once and really really regret it.
0: I suppose. Um I just don't want to listen to somebody boo hoo over the fact that they threw acid in a woman's face. Hmm. I don't know. That's just me. Anyway, Anyway, this this has been Sailor Moonlighting. Uh, If you want more of it, too damn bad. We'll see you next week. Next episode. Next April Fool's episode is Digimon Adventures in Babysitting. So I get to watch one of my favorites, the Digimon movie.
1: What's the point? I already saw
0: Summer Wars. Buffy the Demon Slayer? We don't want to step on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer's toes. Jughead's Bizarre Adventure? No, JoJo. Fine, then you suggest one.
1: Crazy Rich Asians.
0: Combined with?
1: Nothing. I just think it's a good movie.
0: Next time on Sailor Moonlighting, Faded Mahjong Duel, the underappreciated Constance Wu.